Well, good morning, First Baptist Church, St. John's. It's great to be with you again. Thank you, Pastor Tim, for the invitation. And uh, it was wonderful last time we were here to share some stories about your persecuted family. And that's really what, what I'm about this morning. We will, of course, look into God's Word and see if there's some, some guidance for us in relation to persecution. But I want you to know that you have brothers and sisters all around the world. And as you saw in the video, they're asking you to not forget them to pray for them, to remember them. And in fact, Hebrews 13.3 says, remember those who are in prison as if you were in prison with them. And we've been asked to remember our persecuted family, and not just for, uh, for their sake, it's actually for our sake as well. And I wanna encourage you this morning that, that we can be inspired by their stories. We can, we can really be deepened in our own commitment to Christ and our involvement in the Great Commission because we understand what these brothers and sisters are going through. So I'm gonna share some exciting stories with you this morning and even more tonight, so I encourage you to come back tonight, we'll have more time. But uh, let's go ahead and begin and ask the question, what does it mean when we say we're not gonna let them um, serve alone? Let me see if the uh, slide's working here. There we go. Uh, we will not let them serve alone. What, what does that mean to you when you hear that? I wanna take you on a bit of a journey this morning to a few parts of the world where you can kind of get a sense of what it means to be uh, along with them, to be, to be side by side, to be serving together. That's what we're going to ask God to kind of guide us through this morning. And there are a lot of areas in the world where there's persecution happening. You've heard these stories, of course. Um, any Vietnam vets here in the room this morning, by the way? Yeah, thank you so much, brothers. I'm retired Air Force uh, myself, and so I, I love uh, to meet with fellow uh, military members. But, you know, when you think about persecution, um, there's, there's places in the world where we've been as Americans, and persecution is happening in amazing way. One of those places is Vietnam. And I wanted to share some of this story. I just got back from Vietnam a few months ago, and it was interesting. We pulled up to this secret church, and uh, as we pulled up to this, this house in Saigon, they, uh, the guy I was with, he said, hey, we need to be really careful. I'm going to get out first, and I'm going to sort of check things out, make sure it's okay for you to come in. And then, and then he said, okay, come on in, but you just need to kind of hustle in. Don't make it obvious, but, but kind of come into the, the church here. And as I went to this room, I remember walking in and going up these tiny stairs, and the entire top of this house was actually a church. And there were many people meeting there, and this is an illegal church. It's not legal to meet in Vietnam in this unregistered kind of church. But this, this group of leaders, they didn't care. They, they said, we're going to get together. No matter what you guys say, uh, Vietnamese officials, we're going to trust that God has told us we need to gather together regularly. And so that's what we're going to do. So they're there, and I walk in, and uh, I, I'm just humbled whenever I meet these, these folks, these groups, because of the great risks that they're taking to serve our Lord. And as I was chatting uh, with them, I, I actually was asked to uh, preach. Pastor Tim and I were talking yesterday about how whenever you're traveling around the world, if you're a pastor, be ready to preach because they're going to ask you, hey, you're, you're, oh, you're a pastor. Good. Well, you can preach this morning. And so you've got to be ready. And so uh, we talked about that. And I did have a message I wanted to share with them. And I want to encourage you to look over at this text with me. First Thessalonians chapter 3. And uh, I think this is a really important scripture for us to become familiar with. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we're not going to exposit this text, but, but I do want to just point out something to you that I think you'll find interesting and, and maybe surprising. When you look at this text, I especially want to focus on, on verses 3 and 4, 
and the idea that we're going to face trials. Uh, anybody had any trials this week? Let me see those. All right, I, I know you don't, we don't want to raise your hand because then people are going to ask you about it and you have to explain it, and I understand. But we have trials, don't we? We have challenges. There are some trials that are prompted because of our faith. And in 1 Thessalonians 3, there's a, a great word there from Paul. He says, and I shared this with the Vietnamese church, I said, uh, we shouldn't be unsettled by our trials. In fact, we know that we are destined for trials. And then Paul reminds them of his word to them. He said, in fact, you remember when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. He uses his own example to say, hey, when I was with you, I told you that we were going to be persecuted. And as you know, it turned out that way. Let me just share this this morning. Uh, when you think about persecution, it's a normal part of the Christian life. It's normal. It's not abnormal. In fact, it's abnormal when we're not persecuted. This is what we've seen around the world. People are, are not surprised. And we say, hey, uh, I'm sorry that you're going through this. They say, don't be sorry. This, this is part of the normal Christian life. This is what we expect. And there's an interesting sequence here I want to I highlight. It's this, that whenever you think about church growth and what God is doing around the world, you can see it in Scripture. You can see it in, in practical experience. That usually it begins with a prayer. Usually prayer is part of the front end of a church growth kind of movement. And then there's a step into proclamation or preaching. And then the next step usually is persecution. You see, you can live in the, the most intense environment in the world. You could live in North Korea, one of the worst places in the world to be a Christian, one of the toughest places to be a Christian. You could live in North Korea, and if you just kept your faith to yourself, if you just sort of stayed in your house, prayed quietly when nobody was watching, if you had a Bible, most North Korean Christians don't have a Bible, but if you had a Bible, if you hid it and you took it out, you read it for a minute or two, and then you hid it again, you put it back in its safe place, then you would never encounter persecution, right? And in some ways, I think we need to wrestle with this ourselves to say, well, if I'm not encountering persecution, why not? If this is a normal part of the Christian life, well, maybe I'm not proclaiming as much. I, I don't know. It's something that I wrestle with uh, as I consider my life and ministry. I say, am I, am I proclaiming enough to be, uh, to be clear about my faith? Uh, you know, it's interesting when you think about, uh, I talked about the military. I was a military chaplain. One of the challenges of the military chaplaincy for me after, I did it for 20 years, but it was very interesting because it was, it was very, uh, I would say, uh, pluralistic. And there are all kinds of different faith groups involved, and, and it was just, there were some challenges there. But, but it was interesting because as a military chaplain, if you talked about God, you were fine. People knew that you were a chaplain. They expected that. Of course you're going to talk about God. But if you talked about Jesus, it got a little more interesting. Have you noticed this in our culture? You know, if you say, I, I loved, I was talking to Pastor Tim last night at dinner, and he said, uh, you heard a great story, which you've probably already heard, but I'm going to remember this, Pastor, because this is so good. He talked about a missionary to Hindus. He said they had a whole wall full of idols and pictures of different gods' representations. And, and they said, uh, hey, if you, uh, if you really want to follow Jesus, you need to take down all those other ones and just focus on Jesus. And that's when the Hindu family was like, no, 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 we can, I, don't know, I don't know if we can do that. You know, that, that's, that's too exclusive. But that's when we get in trouble, isn't it? So there's prayer, proclamation that leads to persecution. And Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians. He said, we expected it, and it happened. Your mission's theme 
as Pastor Chad said just a minute ago, is I am God and there is no other. That message will create persecution. I'm just here to tell you. If you haven't experienced it yet, uh, start talking to people about that message. And I think you'll experience a form of persecution. Isaiah 45 says, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. This is a universal message. It's a global message. For I am God and there is no other. What a great word. What a great theme for us to think about. We need to turn to God and be saved. And we need to tell others how to turn to him and to be saved. Well, I want to tell you uh, about several hot spots around the world. So I'm going to put this screen up here. But as I transition to that, uh, that next slide, there we go. I don't know if maybe I turned this off accidentally uh, or something. But, uh, well, actually, I think uh, they said it's impossible to turn it off. So it's probably fine. But, but in these hot spots around the world, um, Christians are standing boldly for Christ. And these are interesting hotspots because these are specifically Islamic extremist hotspots. And so we could talk about these areas. I'm just going to, I don't even want to spend a lot of time talking about it. There's so much happening around the world. I've got so many things I want to share with you this morning. But just generally, when you look at Africa, you'll notice there's an Islamic uh, extremist movement uh, from the north to the south. The Christian south, uh, Christian in name at least, uh, is being affected by the Islamic extremists moving south. And so there's groups like Al-Shabaab in Somalia and Kenya. Uh, there's groups like the Sudanese Islamist regime, which I'll talk about that in just a minute in Sudan. There's groups like Boko Haram, which interestingly, the U.S. government took many, many years to recognize as an Islamic extremist group. Thankfully, in 2015, they did. But Boko Haram is wreaking havoc in Nigeria. And it's interesting, there's just a fault line. You can look on the map and you can see, hmm, North Africa, Islamic, Arabic, South Africa, Christian, at least in name. And, and there's just an interesting conflict happening right there. But in these areas of conflict, you would think it promoted fear. But that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Are you afraid of Muslims? When you think about this, how do you engage with Muslims? I know there are many in Michigan. Dearborn, probably more Muslims than, than non-Muslims, right? Uh, there are areas, hot spots even here in Michigan. Uh, and, and I wondered how we think about that. How do we respond to that? It's definitely challenging, isn't it? When... Richard Wormbrand, who founded the Voice of the Martyrs, he said something very profound, and it relates to this. He said this. He said, Jesus never feared or hated anyone. He loved them with the love of Christ. And you think about that. Are those the ends of the spectrum that we struggle with, fear and hatred? That's not really where Jesus has called us to live, in, in either side. We're not to be afraid, and we're also not to hate. We're to extend the love of Christ. How do you do this? How do you extend the love of Christ? Well, uh, if we have opportunity, I'll share some stories about that too tonight, perhaps. With the, the, how can you practically reach out to Muslims that you encounter? Well, we're part of the body of Christ. We're not to be afraid. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, Right? He's given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. We're part of a big family, and this hot, these hot spots around the world you can see on the screen are places where Christians are being persecuted. And so uh, another thing Richard said, which was very interesting, is he said, when I was in prison, they beat my feet. Did you know that feet are a particular area of interest for torture? I didn't know this, 
Uh, but, but I'm learning this more and more. I actually just had a chance to be in the prison not too long ago in Romania where Richard was held. I was actually in the prison where he was held because we're working on a, a new curriculum. And we're talking about the torture of his feet. And this is interesting. He said this. He said, when, I, when my feet were beaten, my tongue cried out. And he said, why did my tongue cry out? My tongue wasn't being beaten. My feet were being beaten. But my tongue cried out. And he said, in the same way, when we think about our persecuted brothers and sisters, when they're being attacked and beaten, we have to be their voice. They, they really can't, you know, they can't come here today. When we had the conference, we did have some representatives from the persecuted family. But, but it's unusual for them to be able to come to a church and to share. So that's my job. I get to be their voice. I get to cry out for them and to encourage you to get to know them. Because that's the key, is getting to relate to them as brothers and sisters in Christ well, I want to tell you a couple stories this morning. Uh, the first one I want to share with you is about, um, uh, actually, that worked out really well. I went two slides. I don't know. <laughs> Let's go back one, if you don't mind, to the uh, joy slide. I want to tell you about a sister named Maimuna. And Maimuna is uh, one of my favorite African sisters. I mean, she's got a smile like none other. You can see it there on the screen. Um, she was a widow that I got a chance to hang out with. My wife spent two separate times with her in Nigeria. And I just had a chance to meet her and spend a few days with her once. But, but her husband was killed by Boko Haram. Her husband was a pastor, and her husband was killed. And you would think that she would be completely defeated and just overwhelmed and, and broken by that. And it has been incredibly tough. In fact, some of these widows said that when I see the people that killed my husband, because we still live in the same area, and I see them, it's hard. I, I don't want to forgive them. You know, I, I, don't, I don't feel joyful at that moment. But, but she says that God has given her the joy of the Lord in ways that we can't even begin to understand. And I just actually just have a brother uh, recently telling about a story of when he was being beaten. And he said it was so bizarre. He said because it was like the Lord was with me in a special way. There was just this grace that was present there. And he's like, I can't even put it into words, but I felt just his presence. And we've heard this in so many places around the world. This is what Joy, Joy says, is I'm going to rejoice in the midst of my struggles because, and the suffering because of the eternal hope I have in you to the Lord. It's eternal perspective. This eternal perspective has given her joy. And again, we see this in Scripture. There's so many examples I could talk about. One of them that I wanted to highlight this morning was Jude 124. And uh, listen to this. It's, it's sort of the doxology in Jude. It says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless before the presence in the glory, in the presence of his glory with great joy. Did you hear that? We're going to be presented in the presence of God's glory with great joy. That's how we're going to be presented. And I believe it's joy on several levels. It's his joy and our joy. It's both. Both types of joy as we're presented before him. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all men, all time, and now and forever. Amen. Isn't that great? That day is going to be a day of joy. How do you feel about going to heaven? Are you excited about it? You excited to stand before the Lord? And, uh, I, you know, it's always a mixed emotion, isn't it? You think about 2 Corinthians 5.20, which says, or I'm sorry, 5, I don't think it's 20. It's in 5. Yeah, it might be 20. 
Which verse is that? Where we, will, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or evil. That verse. Uh, we look at that and we think, I'm kind of excited about that. I'm looking forward to seeing Jesus, but, but I don't know about that judgment part of it. Uh, what's that going to be like? Well, let me tell you this. It's going to be a day of joy. I can guarantee you that. Scripture says that we will stand in heaven with joy. That's what, that's what Jude says. We will come before him with joy. He is glorified. He will be glorified in that place more than we can even begin to imagine. But it will be a time of joy because we have eternal hope. If we live with eternal hope, it changes everything. And that's how these brothers and sisters do it. That's how they make it. Acts 20, 24, Paul says this. He says, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. He said, I want to finish the race. I want to finish my race, how? With joy. And the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise God. I'm looking forward to that day. I hope you are as well. And we need to live now in preparation for that day. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 is encouraging us to do. We walk by faith, not by sight. Well, let me share another story with you about courage. I want to tell you a really interesting story. God is at work in some really remarkable ways. For some reason, I am not able to do this. There we go. Okay, yeah, and then it does it. Tw- yeah, this is not working for me, man. <laughs> Sorry, it's, it's, it's operator error, I'm sure, but thank you for helping me. Um, I want to tell you a story about Hat in a Box and some courage that was manifest by another brother. Um, and this, the scripture verse that really resonates with me about this is Psalm 31, 24, where the Lord says, Be of good courage, and God will strengthen your heart. All of you hope in him. That's the encouragement for us. And if you're asked to do something tough, where do you kind of get the courage? Courage is not about sort of mustering up, you know, psyching yourself out, getting ready for. No, courage is really trusting that God's going to provide. In fact, let's look at that together. I'm not going to be paralyzed by fear because you, who's the you there? God says, you will empower me to take risk. As I take risk to witness for you, you're going to be with me. That's the key. He's with us. And that's probably the most important thing we can get to this morning. When we talk about not letting them serve alone, it's to our benefit as well because we learn from them how to be courageous, how to be bold. So let me tell you a story about this brother. I've got so many stories about God meeting people in remarkable ways. This is a great one. So my brother in Vietnam, he has a box of Bibles that he's been given and he's been asked to distribute them. So he prays about it. He feels like God is leading him to a remote part of Vietnam. This is kind of out out in the boonies. And so the only way to get there is with a bus. That's the only way he can be transported. And, uh, and he knows that he needs to go do this box delivery to hand out these Bibles. But this is a great adventure. I mean, he's trusting God every single step. I mean, I, I, I don't know if you know this, but having a box of Bibles in Vietnam is like having a box of crack cocaine in, in America. I mean, this is not good. If he gets caught with his box of Bibles, he will probably go to prison. And there's been some amazing stories about how God helps these Bible smugglers. I mean, uh, you've heard some of these. You know, you remember like Brother Andrew, you know, wrote the book God's Smuggler talking about some of these stories, and there's so many of them. But uh, one of the funniest ones, this is a little side story. This is a bonus, freebie. Uh, This story was when a guy was driving on a motorcycle. He had a a few boxes of Bibles on the back of his motorbike. And as the the boxes, uh, he was driving down the road, he got pulled over by a policeman. And... uh, and the policeman walks up, and he's got these boxes on the back of his motorbike, and he's scared to death. I mean, he thinks, I'm going to prison for, I don't know what you're doing here, God, but 
Anyway, um, the policeman comes up. He says, hey, I noticed that your boxes are kind of shifted over there, so let me help you tie them on better. So the policeman literally tied on the boxes for him and they said, have a nice day. Hope your boxes don't fall off. Wow, it was amazing. Um, so I, I don't know why stuff like that happens. The Lord just wants to give us a little uh, heart palpitations, I guess. Uh, anyway, so in this story, this guy takes his box and he gets on the bus. And the thing about Vietnam is it's a communist country. It's, it's just like the old Soviet Union. You can't go from this city to that city to that city without permission. You have to have approval. You can't just wander around the places. You've got to get approval, and you've got to be checked out. And so, so you need permissions, and you have reasons. And anyway, so he gets on the bus, and he's got a long bus drive, several hours. And he says, God, I believe you're calling me out to this remote area to share your word and I, and I just don't know how I'm going to get there. I'm trying to be as wise as I can. I, I just don't know, though. I know you're calling me. So, so he takes the box. He just sets it on the bus, and he sits down next to the bus, uh, and it's kind of in the middle of the aisle. It's kind of too big to get under the seat. And, and, uh, and then he just settles in, and he's wondering how he's going to get through checkpoints. He doesn't know. But as it turns out, um, uh, as he's sitting there, before the bus leaves, a man comes on the bus in a police uniform with a big wheel cap, you know, the... Uh, Communist governments, they love those giant wheel caps, you know, the really big caps. And, uh, and so he comes on in uniform. He comes walking down right to this guy, and he sits in the seat opposite of this guy with the box in the middle. And, uh, and I don't know, I don't want to offend any law enforcement professionals if there are any in the room. Uh, I was joking around with Pastor Ron about that earlier because he used to work with Customs and Border Patrol, so he knows all about smuggling. And, and, uh, and I, I was talking about law enforcement, but sometimes law enforcement professionals kind of feel like they own the place. Have you ever noticed this? Kind of come in. Well, this guy came in, took off his big hat, and set it right on top of the box. And this other brother's like, Lord, I don't know. I don't know what you're doing here. But uh, all right, we'll see what happens. Well, interestingly, the police officer went into this coma-like sleep. He literally just fell asleep and was just dead to the world, pretty much. He was just asleep. So they come to the first checkpoint. Sure enough, these guys board the bus. They get in there. They start to begin in the first row, the customs people. They're looking inside handbags, purses, passports, checking out, or what are you doing, talking to people. This is what they do at checkpoints. They board the bus, and they, they check everybody. Well, they walk down the aisle, and each step of the way, this guy's thinking, what are you doing, Lord? I don't know. They get there. They look at the sleeping police officer. They look at the box and his hat on top of the box, and they just go to the next row. Isn't that great? They don't even look at it. And this brother said this happened on several occasions. This whole bus ride, the police officer sleeps. And I, I'm just amazed when I hear these stories. I'm like, praise you, Lord, for what you're able to do when we step out of faith. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm afraid to take that little step of faith and to say something that might be socially unacceptable or awkward or maybe make someone, you know, not like me as much. Um, but, but in these cases, these brothers, they're willing to go to prison to expand God's kingdom, to share his word. It's a great example of perseverance and courage, and we've got to hope in the Lord. Well, I'm going to share one, more, share one more this morning with you about my brother, Peter Yasik. I'm so excited to share this story. Faithfulness is saying, I will not allow adversity to cause me to be unfaithful to your word and to be disobedient, really. That's the, the, the key, not to be disobedient to God and what he's called us to do. Peter Yasik is a great brother, a friend of mine. You can see him. He's the white guy in the, in the photo there. Um, Peter was my colleague and staff member 
Uh, we worked together in Africa. We worked together in, in several parts of the world. And uh, he was a regional director for Africa. Well, uh, uh, December of 2015, not too long after we were together, uh, Peter was arrested in Khartoum, Sudan. He went in there to do some ministry with the Voice of the Martyrs. He was uh, meeting with someone who had been persecuted, and he took some video of them, and he recorded some of the comments that they made. And, and as he was going out of the airport, as he was getting ready to leave the country after being there for a week, we found out later he'd been followed the entire week by the secret police in Sudan. As he's going out of the airport, they plant on him a tooth, an endangered animal tooth. And uh, they say that he was, that's how they arrest him. So they arrest him, they take him, they take all of his computer, all of his stuff, and they begin to interrogate him. And I remember the word we got, the first word that we got was, hey, Peter's been arrested for smuggling, trying to smuggle uh, endangered animal parts out of Africa, um, which is ridiculous. <laughs> we, we knew Peter, and he didn't even, he wouldn't, he would just never do that. There's no reason he would do that. So eventually, the Sudanese government, they held him without charge for some time, other than they were investigating that. And of course, they dug into his computer, they dug into all of his notes and, and photos, and and they found out, they, of course, they already knew what he was doing. Um, so they ended up putting him in prison. He underwent a very long trial. And just a few weeks ago, he was convicted of espionage. Because they, you know, that whole two thing, that, that went away quickly. That wasn't the issue at all. That was just their reason to grab him. But they convicted him of espionage and sentenced him to life in prison. Now, I've been in Sudan. I've worked in Sudan, both South Sudan, Northern Sudan the country of Sudan proper, um, it's not a nice place. It's not a nice place to work in, even if you're living in the bush, you know, with no power and water and electricity and all that stuff. But, but I couldn't even imagine, and as I prayed for Peter, I couldn't even imagine what it would be like to be in a Sudanese prison. That's tough. And we were able to get little bits and pieces of information out uh, from Peter. One of the things that we heard from him was this quote. He said this, he said, Thank you for praying for me. I know everybody's praying. Uh, my wife and my two children are back home without me, and I'm praying for them too, of course. He said, but God holds the key to my cell. That's faithfulness, isn't it? Can you imagine being able to say in a Sudanese prison, God holds the key to my cell. And he will sovereignly determine when it's time for me to go home. Well, I got great news. He just got out, uh, and he was in, in there for a life sentence just about a week ago after 445 days. Think about that, 445 days in prison. Thankfully, through some government negotiations, he's back home with his family and his kids, and uh, I'm so excited, and so we praise God for that. The interesting thing, though, this story's complicated because guess what? two brothers that are with him in that photo are still in prison. And they've been sentenced to 12 years for espionage. And guess who the principal person involved in their trial was? It was Peter. So because of Peter, they're there, and they're not getting out. It's just not going to happen unless God does some amazing miracle because they're locals. They're not from outside of the country. They're, they're from Sudan. So pray for those guys. Uh, we continue lifting them up.
So faithfulness, what does it look like every day? I'm not going to allow the adversity. I'm not going to allow that to take me away from what you've called me to do. Well, I want to close with a scripture from Luke 21. And uh, this passage to me is, um, it's remarkable. It's, and I hope you can take this with you and meditate on it. It's told several different times in different ways in scripture. Uh, I shouldn't say in different ways, but just different gospel accounts. All the synoptic gospels have it, the story, and it's just kind of got different um, viewpoints. Um, But Luke 21, verses 12 and, and 15, it's interesting because what happened here was that Jesus was really foretelling uh, some destruction that was going to be coming. And uh, he was talking about uh, what might happen to his followers. And he said this uh, in verses 12 and 15. He, he says, in fact, it's on the screen there, if you don't mind getting to the next slide there. He says, before all this, they're going to seize you. They're going to put you in prison. They're going to persecute you. You'll be dragged before synagogues, kings, rulers. But this is a very interesting part. When he gets to the part where he says, but make up your mind beforehand not to worry about how you're going to defend yourself. For I will give you words and wisdom that your enemies will not be able to resist or contradict. Isn't that powerful? So this is where, this is where it really kind of comes home for me to think about this. Um, we're not going to let these brothers and sisters serve alone. We want to be with them. And, and we also think sometimes that they're so much stronger than we are, right? They, they, they do this. It's amazing. How do they do this? How do they stand strong? How, how can they say God holds the key to my cell? How can they trust God to help them be courageous and take a box of Bibles, a contraband, through Vietnam? How can they have the joy of the Lord when their husband was killed by terrorists? How can they do it? Well, I've got one answer for you. God. God is the hero of the story. That's how they do it. God does it. They don't do it. In fact, if they would think about ways that they could uh, sort of creatively and and you know, wittingly work out of these situations and, and manage it in their own strength, it wouldn't work. But when God comes in, it works. And tonight I want to tell a couple stories, one from Burma, one from Iran, where literally the words of God and the, the wisdom of God was manifest in their responses when these people are being persecuted. You're going to walk away saying, I don't even know how that worked. That made no sense at all, but it worked. It was God doing it. That's what happens when we walk step by step by step by step with the Holy Spirit guiding us. And when we are willing to say, Lord, I don't know. When I talk to my coworker about Jesus, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know how that's going to work out. But I'm going to trust that you're going to give me the words and trust that you're going to help me glorify you in this somehow. And he will. So do you have what it takes? Yes, you have what it takes if you have Jesus. You have what it takes. And I love that scripture where it says, he's going to give you words and ways to respond that no one can resist or contradict. These these are powerful methods that God uses to help us reach out for his name's sake. Now, let me close with this real quick. If you don't know your persecuted family, you've got to get to know them. Uh, One of the ways uh, that we do this is with the magazine. We, we really uh, believe that we're part of the family, 
And so if you found out all of a sudden today that you have a brother you never heard of or met, then you'd probably be interested in getting to know his story, getting to know a little bit about him. Well, the way we do that is through this monthly magazine. It's free. So I want to encourage you to, uh, to get this. And here's, here's some of the cool little bonus things that you get in these things once in a while. Uh, this is the map I showed you. Pray for Christians facing Islamic extremists. This is the other map. Other side, pray for Christians facing persecution. And we work in 68 countries around the world, and, and all those countries are highlighted in there, and they talk about that. Um, but the way you get it today is uh, I want to encourage you as we're leaving, go down to the Fellowship Hall, the gymnasium. What, what do you guys call that? Is it the gym? Okay, all right, go to the gym. And um, if you are willing to sign up on one of these cards, this says this, two, two statements. I will not let them suffer in silence. I will not let them serve alone. Put your name on the card. Say, I'm in. I'm in. Just like my brothers and sisters in Iraq, I'm going to stand with them. And tonight I may explain more about what that noon means, the, the symbol and all of that. But fill out the card. You get a wristband. I brought a wristband. So all this stuff is free. These are just resources to help you figure out how can you stay connected. Once you fill out the card, hand it to me, and then you will get the wristband, and you'll be able to sign up for the monthly magazine. It's a free subscription. It'll come every month. And because I know what this is like, I've been a pastor a long time, and Tim, you know this too. When, when you preach, you know, a couple weeks later, you don't even remember what you preached on. You know what I mean? People don't remember. Uh, so I'm just going to tell you this. You're not going to remember what I talked about today, but when you get this in the mail, it's going to motivate you and challenge you to get to know your persecuted family. That's what I'm all about, connecting you with them. Are you ready to walk by faith and not by sight, to join our persecuted family? We don't want to leave them behind. We want to join them in their ministry and serve with them. We're not going to let them serve alone. Let's pray as we wrap up this morning. Father, we're so grateful that we have a chance to know part of your body, that we get a chance to learn from these brothers and sisters, to see their stories, to hear their examples. Please help us, we pray, to learn to walk by faith and not by sight, to be able to boldly proclaim, to be willing to go wherever to whoever you call us to, and to trust that you're going to be with us each step of the way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.